I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When it comes down to it, I'm known to be the deep diver. We can talk about the weather and sports. That's all good, but... Like probably before like 60 seconds go by, we're, we're talking about something like, wait, where did, how did we get here? <laughs> so I love those conversations because it's just like, why not? And so I guess maybe that's the difference of like being able to connect to people and then with my vulnerability, they can get there too. And then that's when like real, like yeah, real cool shit can happen. <laughs> how you day, how you day. That was the voice of Jen Lim. Jen Lim is an interesting lady who's got a background in understanding what it takes to incorporate happiness into your workplace and into your life. We had a very, very deep conversation about just her life and how she found happiness and why it's missing in today's workplace, why it's not taught in many environments and how we can bring that back into the workspace and into our private life. Really had a blast. She's the best-selling author of books like Delivering Happiness and Beyond Happiness. I really want you to make sure you take a look at what she's written and how she's contributed to the lexicon of the word happiness itself. I'm sure you're going to find a nugget or so that you can use in your life. As always, if you enjoy the episode, please share with your friends and family, leave reviews, and help us continue to rank on the charts. I really appreciate you all. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Jen Lim. Jen is a speaker, executive coach, and author in her new best-selling book, Beyond Happiness, How Authentic Leaders Prioritize Purpose in People for Growth and Impact. Jen draws on her decades of experience in culture and strategy to translate it into a practical how-to framework for more sustainable workplaces and a modern organizational design. She's an amazing person who is actually quite the entrepreneur herself. And we're going to dive into the story. But before we dive into the story, I want to give you a hearty welcome. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be here. The pleasure is mine. Before I uh, get into the, the question I want to ask you, I want to say this. Oh, I actually want to ask you this. Are you happy? <laughs> <laughs> Such a good question. Kick this all off. Yeah, I, I can honestly say I'm at a happy place right now. Although I could say that was not for sure over the last two and a half years. So what is happiness for you then? You know, it's such a subjective question. And that's why I love there's, there's a science to it. For me, it's really feeling that I'm truly living my authentic self and living by my values, which is includes a sense of freedom and of course, authenticity, being with the people I love. And these days, just being even more grounded in a sense of self and love. 
I love that. And I also caught what you said earlier and a few minutes ago, you said you weren't happy, I guess, two and a half years ago or in the last two and a half years. What within, shift, yeah. within the last two and a half years, what was the shift? It was such a, I mean, everyone listening to this had some journey and some highs, hopefully, but also some lows. And for me, I think the shift was this holiday turning in this new year. I don't know what it was, but it was really... I got to go to travel and I was in Paris and I asked my mom and my friends to go home first. And I wanted to stay a little longer just to be on my own. And that, even though it was like a few short days, gave me just enough space to kind of be able to look back and reflect and say, wow, you know, I was in a deep, dark place for a while. That just kind of opened up a new space for me and in, in just being more open to like what this time has for towards happiness and the book that I wrote about what's beyond, beyond Beyond happiness too. The reason why I love what you're saying is because I was doing research on you as as I like to do on guests. Scary, Tyo. I I know, I know. (laughs) I couldn't believe the things I found. You got to get that checked. Oh, damn. (laughs) Now I'm scared. (laughs) Well, no, you said something that I found so profound. You said the cure for the pain is in the pain. It sounds like you're talking about that. You were sitting in painful moments while you were reflecting. And there's yeah. an element of self-awareness that I'm hearing as well. So when you're saying the cure for the pain isn't a pain. That's pretty much it. I think it's natural for us as human beings to sweep painful things under the rug, things that get us mad, angry, sad, try to move on and go on and thinking it's okay. But the reality is it's not okay. I think that part of being in the pain is embracing it and yeah. forming a relationship with it and saying like, just sit next to me and we'll have a talk. And being able to have that it's a freedom of yeah. being saying like, you know, I am being true to myself and I can't embrace these things. So I think everyone endured some form of it. And yeah. by being able to have those conversations within ourselves, that's what unlocks it. It's not cliche when you say you don't really know your highs until you get to know your lows. It's okay. not cliche because it's real when you actually live it, you know, when you actually experience what that means. I completely agree. And I, I was doing some more research on why your book is so pertinent now. And this transitions into the next question I want to ask you. You you say nearly half of all employees always or often feel exhausted and stressed. You've walked us through your personal journey of awareness, but nearly half is, that's a lot of people. What do you mean? We're just going to work tired and stressed and we're just not saying anything about it. I know the answer, but (laughs) but but why do you think that's so? Why do I think that like half of the people are willing to accept that sense of just, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, but I'm just going to go through it anyway. I mean, I think there's a lot of different reasons, but I think especially what, what happened in the last two and a half years, we are still in many ways in a primal state. We're still kind of like shocked and awed, you know, we're still in fight and flight because we have not found, you know, for most part, I'm talking about a sense of control, you know, of the things around us. There's still a lot of things that are changing that we cannot control. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a big part of actually scientific happiness. If you don't have a sense of control, it's almost impossible to have a real meaningful happiness within yourself. I think that's part of it. And I think, you know, change is hard. If we're used to what we've been used to and it's worked in some ways, like we can't deny, you know, it pays the bills. It like buys my Netflix monthly subscription, you know, like I can get a drink, you know, those things that get us by, of course, it's kind of like, well, why would I want to change it? Because at least it's working. But that's where 
that self-reflection and self-awareness that you just mentioned, you know, like it's so important. It's hard work. It's harder than work work. Yeah. <laughs> Once you realize the the benefit of it, and it's again, so subjective as to what it means to you, but once you realize and actually feel that benefit, then that's when change becomes a little bit easier. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's this yeah. idea of being willing to improve your well-being, being willing to address your triggers, your traumas mm-hmm. and create whatever boundaries you need to have that will it can actually simultaneously help you become the best version of yourself, but also advance your career. I think you know this previously. If you talk like this in the past, they will call you woo-woo and saying, well, <laughs> yeah, quantify this. What do you mean? Like, this is not part of profits or market share or market cap. Uh, how does this even factor into workplace? So we launched this company in 2010. So it's been a minute. And back then it was like, oh, happiness at work, you know, that's all fine and cool, but it'll never happen where I work. And so that kind of fired me up. I felt like that challenged me to say, no, I believe it can work because happiness is universal. And more than that, like the latest research and studies show that it's kind of scientifically proven to show what we can do. So, yeah. So in that sense is my background, I was consulting at Zappos back in the day when it was a tiny little startup that became like a petri dish of using positive psychology and scientific happiness and apply it within a workplace. Hmm. So Zappos eventually became a billion dollar company in less than 10 years and got acquired by Amazon for 1.3 billion at the time of closing. So that was like cool to show that work at Zappos. But then we said, you know, these principles we can show other places can work too. So number one, scientifically shows that if we have a sense of control and autonomy, in other words, like trust from our peers, trust from our boss, that gives us more sustainable happiness. Number two is a sense of progress. You feel like you're growing, developing, learning. If you have a huge, long project, you feel like you're celebrating the milestones along the way. The third one is connectedness. And this is really simple, right? Like the breadth and depth of your relationships. And the fourth one, and the most sustainable form of happiness that we've seen across all studies in the world Mm. is purpose. We hear that word a lot, but what does it really mean? It's like, well, what are you doing that's bigger than yourself? What are you a part of that's bigger than yourself? And hopefully what company or team are you a part of that's actually bigger than just trying to make more money? Those four things we've seen time and time again work in any kind of workplace, any industry, any size. It's because when we break it down to like human beings are human beings and we all have pretty much similar needs. And if we can see it in a reframed way of what actually, what happiness is, not necessarily rainbows and unicorns, it's actually purposeful, meaningful work and life, then these are like the starters as to what we can do on a day-to-day basis. I'm listening to you and I'm looking at what's happening in the world right now. We're recording this in the midst of the ominous predictions of economic downturn, the tech industry, Silicon Valley, you're near Silicon Valley, right? Silicon Valley. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of the the tech companies are facing hiring freezes. We're seeing what's happening with the Supreme Court, regardless of what side you're on. It's it's very, yeah, right? Divisive moment. All these things that I've always felt are part of who you are and they inevitably fit into the workplace. They're happening right now. And I'm bringing Mm -hmm. all these things up because these things have been used as something, an indicator of someone's happiness. And the idea of being one's full self or the idea of freedom or your right being taken away. And I'm curious to hear how your formula can help combat those things where people feel like they can't control. Totally. And how timely is your (laughs) question, right? This morning, like Like this morning, (laughs) this morning, yesterday, last week, you know, last month. I mean, really to think about it, 
the world got 2020'd because all this especially got amplified in terms of turning on whatever news feed you have and waking up to like, like holy shit, you know, like, yeah. not again or not another thing that was inconceivable before. So that stacked on throughout the months of 2020 and then then 2021. And here we are now. And so the reality of that is, you know, many of y'all might have heard of the term VUCA. So this sense of there's unending sense of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity in the world. Well, that's causing us as human beings, what, what I call in the book, the FUD factor, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. When you have those factors, you realize, if you think about it, what's being caused by, and it's really the external factors that you can't control. And having that realization is step number one to the question and the answer that you're posing is like, how do you face this on a day-to-day basis? It's like, ask ourselves, what can we control? And that's within us. It's within our own world, within our own interior world, but also the world of people we touch in our ecosystem, be it friends, families, obviously our workplace. What I really wanted to expand on in the book is just like, how do we do this? It's like, that's where the internal work is so important. And our big premise is to ground ourselves, knowing that's the most permanent thing we can control. So purpose and values, how we live our life the values that drive our behaviors and habits and basically fill up our calendar and the time in our day and how we spend you know, time from the clock. It's just a reminder of making sure the clock is aligned with your compass. When you have that compass, that's awesome. But how are you spending your time for it? You know, like that's, that's you know, from a very broad level, how we can start. So then the question I'm asking, a lot of CEOs listen to this, like a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs or nice. change makers, right? So your audience, they are thinking of starting companies right now. They listen to you. They're saying it's very important to create a company that people can self-actualize. And I heard you once say, until we help others self-actualize, we're not achieving our full selves. So what are things that CEOs, aspiring entrepreneurs can actually do right now to create that company culture? It's just like one to five, two to 10 people. How can they do something right now? I just like to keep things as simple as you can because sometimes this seems and feels so daunting. You know, like if you're already running a company and you already have umpteen things going on. And what's really interesting about this is that I think it was just a couple of days ago, Deloitte released a study that said that well, it was about well-being and the delta between employees and CEOs caring about well-being. The CEOs that they interviewed, 70% of them said that they were ready to quit their job because their well-being wasn't cared for. Mm. And that's at the CEO level. So and just thinking about if they're thinking that, imagine what everyone else is thinking in their company. As a CEO, and, and I really believe as any leader, you know, like anyone can be a leader if they choose to in their work and life. And so if you're not the CEO, you could be within your team. You can be a leader of your team. But number one is actively listen. The thing that's happening right now is like some people are ready to talk about happiness again. Some people are not. And the first most responsible thing a CEO can do is talk to people and not just another survey and like call it a day, but actually have active listening tours and getting a sense of not just the stats of, you know, engagement productivity, but what are the stories mm-hmm. that you're hearing from people? That really helps in the sense of what do people really want right now? Because this level of VUCA is still high. They just really want to be heard, heard and understood. So if a CEO can understand that, that's just step one. Have this like whatever you want to call it, active listening tour. 
and make it a point to really, truly actively listen. And actively is like a operative word in that. <laughs> no, um, no. Yeah, it's important. It's different from normal passive listening or just listening to listen. Yeah, I'm just checking it off a box of things to do. Yeah. So after you get that, people feel heard and understood. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Number two, I would say the next natural step would be communicate, transparently communicate a plan. And the plan could be simple enough as celebrate what's going well. Like in all your listening and all your stats and stories, what is actually going well? And don't forget to celebrate those moments because that's when things can start getting happier. People are mm-hmm. saying, oh, wow, we've actually progressed in all this stuff. Progressed. And then with the celebration of wins, you actually also have to transparently acknowledge what's not going well. It's like, hey, this is what we've heard. And these are the top two, three things that across the board we're kind of sucking at right now. So as CEO, I know that transparently, I can't take care of everything in a day or in even a month. And this is a journey, but this is my commitment to you that we are going to take these things on. And when employees hear that, you know, it's just a different tone altogether as how they show up. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is, and this sounds so silly, right? But to actually do it, but do it with measurement. If you have naysayers in your company and, you know, I love CFOs, but, you know, sometimes they could be the biggest naysayers about caring about people and culture and making a line item instead of an asset. And I know there's really good CFOs out there that don't think that way. But when you actually do these programs, launch these initiatives, but measure them based on what's most important to your company and your business. So be it retention productivity, engagement, attraction of new people, which is huge right now, as you know, then it becomes meaningful. It's not just like soft stuff. It's not just fluff anymore. It becomes meaningful for people and becomes meaningful for your business. It really does. And, and it makes a world of difference in how people receive you. Well, one, one of the things, you know, I'm from Nigeria, but I grew up in different parts of the world. And I, I always see how masculinity leadership even those two concepts can be married, which is so there's a bias there where you're like, oh, if you're a leader, you should have masculine qualities. And if you have masculine qualities, you should never reveal weakness. And if you reveal mm-hmm. weakness, no one's going to respect you. And then to your point, part of that, what is been perceived as weakness is this idea of saying I was wrong. You know, stripping that stereotype of masculinity and just understanding that any human should be able to discuss and be vulnerable in those moments, but also allow for opportunities to grow. And then sometimes I, I worry about the culture we've created where some people don't feel like if they appear as the full selves, they will be accepted. And so they mm. just hide things and ends up making things worse. Yeah, totally. I mean, a thousand percent, especially in this time and age, we have seen time and time again, if you're in a role that is a leader, if the more vulnerable you can be, the more honest and 
vulnerable and transparent your people will be and their loyalty. They're not just doing it for their boss anymore. They're doing it for different reasons. And that level of appreciation you can't pay for. It's almost the same as having a purpose. That's just beyond the paycheck. That's beyond the paycheck. Speaking of moving beyond the paycheck, I want to move beyond happiness. Look at that segue. Damn. Must be a good Friday for you. (laughs) But beyond, I want to move beyond happiness and talk about you. You, you have, uh, you have an interesting career. You've developed one, um, even, you know, with with Tony Shea, you know, the great Tony Shea. I want to know what it was like for you growing up and when you came into these moments of consciousness of what you wanted to do, because you've gone through several pivots, but little Jen and now adult Jen, what were the paths to get to where you are now? Oh, wow. <laughs> Little Jen to adult Jen. Well, first of all, I got to get rid of my braces and that was a highlight. Oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Five braces. <laughs> I think the most pivotal, and yeah, thank you for mentioning Tony. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. Many of you know he passed and that was one of my doozies, uh, really. That When you asked about my lows of two and a half years of like, that was a big part of it. We can talk more about that, but I just appreciate you mentioning him. No, yeah, yeah. And please do. Well, yeah, later on, because I knew it was a big part of your journey and you you also helped him a lot. So absolutely. Yeah. So I would say in terms of your question, like I think the biggest pivotal point for me was graduating from school, from college. And I'm Asian American. I grew up with those, you know, quintessential things to be successful, doctor, lawyer, get in good school, mm-hmm. you know, learn a bunch of instruments as much as you can. So I thought being that success I had it made because I was going to UC Berkeley, studying pre-med and, you know, I had piano. So, <laughs> so I was golden, but it wasn't, uh, yeah, something was off. And I started wandering and found something called Asian American studies at Cal. And I was just totally blown away. And I was got like so passionate about this topic and I majored in it. And as you can imagine, I called my parents to tell them what I did <laughs> and, you know, completely freaked out and said, Asian American studies, you know, you can come home more often and we'll tell you what your Asian American studies is all about. And in, in hindsight, though, I realized that was the first time that I stood up for what I wanted to do and not what others expected me to do. So Of course, you know, after graduating, they were right because I couldn't find a job (laughs) and I started freaking out. But luckily for me, .com was born, Silicon Valley, as you mentioned, is right down the road. And I became an internet consultant and I thought, wow, money title status overnight, not bad. And as we all know, (laughs) the end of that story, .com busted and I lost it all. So this is where the pivot point was. I lost it in the sense that I got laid off. I got fired and I was just like, damn. I felt like a loser, not because I got fired, because I put so much importance on the money title status and someone took it away in a moment. So then that happened, but that wasn't even my lowest low. Within the same year, 9-11 happened and we found out my dad had stage three colon cancer. This triple whammy within that time, you know, I was in my late 20s, mid to late, and it just really made me look inward and say, is this the life that I want to live? Are these the values I want to live by? And that was the difference. I realized, nope, I'm going to actually prioritize authenticity, freedom, people in my life. And if I make decisions based on that, then I will never look back or regret. You know, there's been a lot of hills and valleys since then, but it really was a pivotal point in becoming more grounded in who I am today. It's such a beautiful and powerful story. And a lot of immigrants and people who share multiple cultures certainly relate to that. It's this idea of 
understanding who you are, accepting who you are, willing to be who you are, despite the projections that have been put onto you and understanding yeah. that it's okay to have that. You know, I, okay. I had that. I'm sure you say Asian American and Nigerian is lawyer, doctor, engineer or failure. So, <laughs> yes. But I really wanted to highlight that part out because, yeah, you know, there are moments when people will think, see, told you so. You got to do the thing that is going to give you the money, the status and everything. Mm-hmm. But what you came to realize, it sounds like was, am I actually happy? Is this fully filling up my values, right? Does it make me who I am? And despite mm-hmm. what's happened externally, to your point earlier, am I focusing on what I control to grow? And I don't know that a lot of people get there. I would say that's true, but I think it's been really promising to see that people are taking more time than in the past. I mean, part of this great resignation is the great awakening. And mm-hmm. those that understood it's not it's just a pay, it's not just more flex time. It is actually, wait, I'm showing up for what again? And I'm spending the moments of my day doing this again. And so that realization has been really uplifting because just even a generation ago, you know, like our parents, yeah. they were not thinking this because they couldn't. You know, they were no other option on the table. Yeah, Yeah. you got it for food. Yeah. So let's make the most of the fact that this is a luxury in a lot of ways that we can have this time to even think the different ways of what makes us most fulfilled personally. I love that. Tony Shea. Yes. For context that people, in case you don't know who Tony Shea was, he was the CEO of Zappo and he was a venture capitalist and an entrepreneur. Unfortunately, died in 2020 at the age of 46. What did he mean to you? So many things to check off on the list of friend, brother, co-founder, partner in happiness crime, I guess. You know, just when we first met, I actually didn't have a good impression of him because it was his birthday. It was in 99 and it was a dot-com height and he was having this huge party and... (laughs) The DJ was like, oh, the ladies in the house, come say happy birthday to Tony. And I was like, oh, no, you know, not one of those again. But the second time we met was when I really understood the kind of person he is. And it was just, you know, so introverted, but so much depth in the things he would think and say. He was probably basically the only person in the world I could talk about any topic and nothing was inappropriate or out of bounds. Just because we had that level of trust and honesty that it wouldn't, you know, affect our relationship. It wouldn't affect our opinions. It just was like, it was that unique in being able to have a, a relationship with someone that in a pretty deep way. I'm sure he's looking down from above right now and smiling at you. I wanted to give you the chance to talk about it because I, I remember hearing the news and he deserves to be remembered. And his legacy lives through you as you're creating legacy fathers as well. So there's Thank that. You. Yes, there is that. Yes. (laughs) You're so welcome. Your book, how can people find your book and what do you hope people to do with your book rather? You could use it as, you know, a dead weight uh, to keep your papers from flying around when it's windy. That's a very practical way. (laughs) The other ways, I meant it to be part philosophical, part practical and part personal because Mm. all those things that I talked about are really just different sort of recipes that people can pick and choose as to what's most impactful for them. As I break it down, like I talk about the greenhouse and the greenhouse metaphor is about us as leaders. And we, Tony talked about this too, say we want to grow the greenhouses, not be the biggest plant or tallest tree, 
but create the conditions for other greenhouses to grow. But the build on that, that I had to process after he passed and writing this book was that we cannot do that unless we're nurturing our greenhouse first. So that's in a nutshell, the reminder of this book is like, don't forget to put on your oxygen mask. And maybe we forgot because we didn't fly for a long, long ass time. But now that we are flying again, think of the ways that you can nurture your greenhouse as you're trying to grow others. The book just kind of like divvies it up in ways that you can do it for, we say, the me, individual, the we, your team, your company, and then your community, which is your customers, your partners, they're everyone in the ecosystem that you touch. And now it's so much easier to tie it to society and our planet because we know that you and I and everyone listening, wherever they're sitting, walking or running, it's like now more than ever, I've seen so many beautiful stories of people when they connect to their self in that meaningful, deep way and are understanding how they can nurture their greenhouse, their sense of purpose ripples out in amazing ways to the weed, to the community, to what's your purpose all about to society and the planet at large. That might sound like a big lofty statement, but that's why I really brought up a lot of examples in the book of how people are doing that on a day-to-day basis. And you don't have to be a CEO to do it. Like a janitor in Mexico is doing every day. It's pretty amazing. As we wrap up here, in an article about you on Fast Company, you say the bottom line is you're in charge of cultivating an inner mindset of happiness and you can practice this on a daily basis. Her book, Jen's book, is she provides a lot of practical how-to methods. So it's easy for you to apply that on a daily basis. She's got the neurological science of happiness, if you will, and the way to tie that sense of happiness to self-actualization. And I think when you're constantly having your compass point towards that self-actualization, it becomes a habit, if you will, despite the external factors. Exactly. Right. Wow, Tyler, you did your homework. I did. I have to do this. Is, you know, you know, I take my job seriously. You do. I'm fairly <laughs> impressed and honored. Seriously. So, Not everyone does. So that's, oh, trust me. I know. <laughs> Especially, <laughs> I remember going on, on my, my book tour and uh, I could tell that they probably just... <laughs> Yeah, read the back cover. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy. I love the title, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. It's my mission statement. So I know. It's beautiful. By the way, it's the last question. So I always ask, how do they use their difference to make a difference? So, Jen, how do you use your difference to make a difference? I think when it comes down to it, I'm known to be the deep diver. We can talk about the weather and sports. That's all good. But... Like probably before like 60 seconds go by, we're, we're talking about something like, wait, where did, how did we get here? <laughs> so I love those conversations because it's just like, why not? And so I guess maybe that's the difference of like being able to connect to people and then with my vulnerability, they can get there too. And then that's when like real, like yeah, real cool shit can happen. <laughs> Using your difference to make a difference by being a deep diver, being a connector. I think that's great. That's amazing. Well, thank you for coming on the show. This has been really fun. You're so welcome. We're going to put all your links in the show notes so people can get your book. Please make sure you use it for yourself, for your company, and your sphere of influence, and really dive into just the different practical ways that you can practice the best way to create you know, the best environment for you to be your best self. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Tayo. Pleasure's mine. Kings, queens, and royalty. Till next time, use the difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Tayo Roxon.com.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.